Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and coach, also a keynote and TEDx speaker and author of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information related to rejuvenating as well as wellness in general, positive psychology, and my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology. It's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to always bring you interesting people who lead their own lives with enthusiasm and have different ways of helping us to become better versions of ourselves as we lead our lives. And probably nobody exemplifies it better than our guest for today's podcast. Dr. Rick Hansen is a psychologist, senior fellow at the University of California, Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and a New York Times bestselling author, I believe multiple times. With his son, Forrest, he produces the Being Well podcast, which is downloaded several million times a year. And he has lectured at NASA, Google, Oxford, and Harvard. Rick is the founder of the Global Compassion Coalition, which is where we're gonna be spending quite a bit of our time on today's interview. I also regard Rick as both a personal friend and a mentor, and I am so happy to be bringing him to our audience. Rick, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's such a joy and a pleasure to have you with us today. Well, Ron is great, actually. And I, I think of us as two old dogs who are still learning new tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll certainly take that as a compliment. And as yeah. long as we can keep learning, yeah, I think I think we know that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, there's so many things in the work that you do, in the range of work that you do that we can talk about, and we'll hopefully get to to some of the other things later. But the, the Global Compassion Coalition is kind of your your newest gig and such an important one. So I'm going to ask you about it. But first of all, just so I'm not assuming anything. What is compassion? How do you define compassion? Uh, compassion is basically empathy plus benevolence. Mm -hmm. In other words, first we have to recognize, and it's a res in, in response to suffering. So compassion responds to suffering broadly, ranging from you know that your friend is a little disappointed about something or uh, the person walking past you on the street is clearly weary and at the end of a long, hard day, or you hear a child fall down and you, you hear them crying, or, right? It's a natural response. Uh, your, your parents get older. My parents have both passed away. Is a natural response of, of care and concern for what they're put dealing with. Suffering is on a range, obviously, from mild physical or emotional physical or mental pain, all the way to agony. Compassion recognizes suffering empathically. We, we let the person's reality land in us. 
Very important. We don't have to agree with people to have empathy for them. We don't have to approve of them or like them. We can disagree with them vehemently, but we can still have some empathy for them. And not mere empathy alone, but compassion involves a caring response, wishing to relieve their suffering, wishing that their suffering would end. Um, a con artist uh, can have a lot of empathy in order to manipulate you, but there's no benevolence there. So that's, for me, really the, the essence of compassion. You know, the interesting thing that people debate about as scholars is what do you do when your heart uh, responds to, let's say, an earthquake in Turkey and northern Syria recently with thousands, tens of thousands of people in terrible conditions, many, many of them dying. You can't do a single thing about it but your heart is still moved. That's still compassion. And then there are other situations in which you, know, you want to do something about it. You, you want to be helpful. You With a child who's fallen down, you kiss their boo-boo. You know, oh, boo-boo, you know, kiss, kiss, boo-boo, now feel better. It's great. You're helping them. Or your friend uh, is in a tough situation and you, you just listen sympathetically and you're supportive. You do something. And if you're aware of the fact the painful that a large fraction, arguably the majority of the suffering in our world now and historically is preventable and largely and due to systemic forms of injustice of various kinds that maintain poverty, war, the control of the few over the many in roughly 80% of the lives of the people in the world today who do not live in anything resembling civil society, let alone a high-functioning democracy like you find in Finland, perhaps. Um, then you want to do something about it. You want to do something about the systemic sources of suffering, including the ways in which humanity is dumping 100, pardon me, 100 million tons of CO2 a day up into the atmosphere. 1% more carbon emitted into the sky in 2022 than in 2021, notwithstanding all the talk about you know, the climate crisis. So that's a long-winded way of saying that about what compassion is, and it sets up the Global Compassion Coalition and why I founded it, because it's funny. It's really, I don't know if it's funny, but the old, you know, I've been meditating since 1974. Uh, the older I get, the more peaceful I get, and the madder I get. <laughs> you know? I'm mad about it being Game of Thrones for 10,000 years for most people. I'm mad that, you know, when I watch these English uh, shows set in, you know, Downton Abbey or something like that, or right around World War One or Two, uh, I'm mad that the class structure in England was that 90% of the population were living in really, really squalid conditions while a tiny, tiny minority of the gentry were doing well. I'm mad about the history of African-Americans in America. I'm mad that trillions of dollars of wealth was plundered from the global South during colonialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm mad that 10,000 kids a day die of starvation across the world. While we're talking here, kids are dying of hunger right now. So the aim of this coalition Thanks for letting me rattle rant here. Sure. The aim of the coalition is to take a page from our hunter-gatherer ancestors and how they did their politics at the scale of 50 people living together most of their lives. The many regulated the few. 
And so now we need to become big enough at a global scale, taking advantage of civil societies that do exist, as well as global communications and other developments like a rising middle class worldwide and definitely the long overdue rise of women, you know, long overdue and a far way to go still to positions of power, take advantage of these developments and to form a new kind of global commons that can be big enough to be strong enough to actually accomplish the long overdue systemic change that humanity is crying out for. What, I mean, that that's really fascinating, I guess. You hit my play button, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know, I, I came out of that like a Cracker Jack or something yeah. on a spring, well, hopefully okay. I mean, that's a necessary background for really understanding the the coalition. So what what do you do? I mean, I, we yeah. you have this entity formed, and I guess two things come to mind. Uh, yeah. Number one, just the question of, of what do you do that's mm-hmm. more, hopefully more impactful than us, yeah. you know, feeling... Right, fashion, but doing nothing about it. And secondly, just in terms of the time, I mean, uh, we look at, you know, schools and hospitals getting Mm -hmm. bombed in Ukraine. Uh, You uh, see immigrants uh, being denied, you know, entry by by people whose whose ancestors and possibly even parents were immigrants. You turn on the news and and you see all these killings. So uh, number one, what do you do? And what makes you think that the time is right or that you will have an impact now? I'm not not challenging it. I I hope you've got a good answer for that because I'd like to really feel positive that that this might be a time to, to really make a difference. Yeah. Around the world, most people are compassionate at the local level. They're, they, you know, they respond to their friends, their family. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, how can I be cruel? How can I be a sadist? How can I make other people suffer? Most people are like that individually, all right? Second, there are people and especially organizations around the world that are trying to relieve suffering at a significant scale, ranging from people who volunteer to go into a residence for retired people or even a nursing home and just play checkers with people or read them some books or just sit and be with them. I mean, it's happening. And then you have larger and larger organizations that are doing things at a fairly large scale, like Doctors Without Borders or the Rockefeller Foundation. That's great. Great, 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 great. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And there is and never has been a single global hub that enables all these many people and organizations who want to support the greater good. There's been no single hub for them to get information and tools, best practices, latest news, latest research, latest science, No single hub where they can see each other and experience community with each other and celebrate each other and even collaborate with each other. And then increasingly over time, have the opportunity to coalesce with each other, to combine with each other their resources at a scale that can make a systemic difference. For example, 
in terms of the latter, just to give you a couple of facts related to the climate crisis that have blown my mind when I learned about them. Number one fact, in America, oil and gas industry over the last 15 years has spent $2 billion, B for billion dollars, on obstructing climate change legislation very successfully. They have gotten what they paid for. How do you compete with that? Worldwide, economists estimate that the oil and gas industry worldwide in the last 50 years, in various countries, including America, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, Russia, around the world, the oil and gas industry has generated pure profit. It means pure profit. Just you do whatever you want with that profit every day in excess of $3 billion a day for the last 50 years. And that amount of money buys a lot of influence and can corrupt a lot of societies and politicians in ways that are almost invisible. Yeah. So at that scale, then, what's really remarkable is to appreciate this simple observation. And check, check me if you, if you have not seen it uh, or disagree. I'm, I believe in free markets. You know, I support free markets. I support the autonomy of the individual. I think nations have to have some kind of control over their borders, much like a cell must have some regulation of its membrane between inner and outer. Okay, people need to have individual body autonomy. There needs to be a kind of national autonomy at some level. Okay, I'm, so I'm not, a, I'm not a complete, you know, left-wing firebrand. Okay, I'm a practical person. I have a business background and all the rest of that. What I observe is that Many, many, that businesses tend to compete. Forces of, call it forces of wealth and power. They compete at the marketplace level, right? They compete at that level, but they cooperate at the political level and they put their money in a single bucket like the oil and gas industry did in America. Nonprofits are almost always the opposite. They are very friendly with each other at the barbecue level, you know, or the cocktail party level, or, you know, just feeling like supportive of each other as being pro-social. But do they ever take any significant amount of their annual revenue and put it in a single bucket to accomplish something that's big enough to compete with the forces that have maintained Game of Thrones for 10,000 years? Almost never. It's shocking. It's stunning. It's stunning. And so one of our purposes is to create a kind of, like I said, a new global commons in which humanity can come together at the scale of the whole human tribe across all kinds of boundaries and divisions, caring about one thing. We can disagree politically, Democrat, Republican, Tory, liberal, you know, we can be conservative or not, da 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 But one thing is, hey, we need to feed our children, right? We need to stop burning up the planet and uh, dumping our excrement, frankly, into the sky. Hey, you know, we need to have civil society worldwide. We need to educate all children, not just some boys. Hey, this is crazy. We all know it's crazy. We, we In America, richest country on the planet, we're unlike any other industrial democracy in how we, in like our, the level of poverty, uh, we don't have paid family leave by policy, which is, it's crazy. You know, it's like we're a total outlier. You can have a functioning, wealthy, well-run economy and a liberal democracy while also supporting your people. So I'm just 
rattling on here again, but it just seems to me that we're going to have to come together to be big enough, to be strong enough, to actually make the world we long for. And otherwise, we're just kind of treading water. Yeah, some things have gotten better, but there's so many important things that remain, and humanity now is the power. We have to grab that power no, and then use it. Well, do you see it, your, your coalition or the, the whole compassion movement having an influence on, you know, I mean, look at there's, you look, the biggest countries in the world are headed by, by dictators. Yeah, that's right. Or close to it in India. Yeah. And uh, yeah, either dictators in, in fact or yeah, function. Russia, <laughs> China, India, and so on. Yeah. Is the expectation that that people will that they will respond to the large population if we can get the the population going that yeah. route or what uh, you know in other words it makes I, I can even see it taking place in the United States Canada mm -hmm. so yeah. on but uh, what what about dealing yeah. with dictators no, who aren't going to give up power that easily no that's the question and I'm really glad you're asking it and I think. Part of what we need to do is we need to, as Bernie Brown puts it, dare greatly and to think big. Like, I think big, you know, like big change by 2100. That's, I don't know, I don't think I'll be here, but I hope the Global Compassion Coalition will be here. My kids may be here. They'll be really old by the end of this century. Hopefully, if they ever have kids, their kids will be here by the end of the century. How do we want it to be? So I love the way you're starting. Okay, let's think big. How do we want it to be? Uh, it's so easy to just start to habituate to the water you swim in and accept it as normal. Here's a trippy fact. In hunter-gatherer bands, human bands, that humans have been on this earth for over 300,000 years, anatomically modern humans, 300,000 years. During all but the last 10,000 years, everyone who lived did so inside a small hunter-gatherer band that was organized around what's called caring and sharing, compassion and justice, because their fates were bound together and with their big social brains, they could understand each other, they could punish freeloaders, and there was the basis for the evolution of altruism, unique among any other primate species, all of which, hundreds of them, hundreds of other primate species are organized around what's called holding and controlling. Alpha dominance, control, holding food and controlling reproduction in a nutshell, right? It's important to appreciate that the normal is not the last 10,000 years in which large populations and large surpluses enabled concentrations of wealth and power that reverted our species for most social uh, lives to the primitive strategy of holding and controlling. Hmm. Think about it, you know. Okay, so it's important to really appreciate, just like you did there, Ron, that the way we live is not normal. It's not the normal human style. The normal human life is, is on the foundation of compassion and justice as the basis for society. Yeah, some people are jerks. Some people are obnoxious. Some people grab more of their share of the mastodon meat. But on the whole, inside that hunter-gatherer band, you live together. Your fates are bound together. Um, you are kin, and you need to work together you know, people like Donald Trump or Putin or, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they get regulated inside the band. We unleash them on the other bands 
all right, you know. But inside our band, we can't put up with that stuff. That's normal. That's the human norm that we've vastly deviated from. So just appreciating that. And then if you want to hear my, my quick theory of change, or basically the way I see it is that we do it in three stages. I'll do this in 30 seconds. Stage one, build a coalition over a handful of years that delivers value to its members, becomes fairly large, gets the job done. At the second stage, when you start getting enough resources, you drive a very serious and clever and sustained and well-funded uh, media campaign to influence culture and politics. And you put compassion on the map. You public, you know, you publicize exceptions to it, but mainly you just support the value of compassion in the culture and politics. You use entertainers, TikTok influencers. You know, you you really go after youth, and you do it worldwide. And you just do that for ten or twenty years. Just boom, and you spend the money to do it well. And then third, building on that, and maybe sooner than twenty years from now, you pick a flagship project a clever, well-identified flagship project that's emotionally appealing and highly leveraged. And for humanity to actually finally, once and for all, solve that problem, it will leave civil society in its wake because that's the foundational problem. You know, in America, uh, New Zealand, um, Ukraine, there are, people have a chance. In Turkey, less and less of a chance. Hungary, less and less of a chance. Russia, no chance. China, no chance. India, less and less of a chance. Iran, Saudi Arabia, no chance at all, right? So civil society is key because with civil society, you have a chance. So you pick a flagship project like, hello, no child starves. Like who could be against that really? But to make sure that no child goes hungry, you have to support the roles of girls and women. You have to start paying attention to food distribution systems and squeezing corruption out of them. You have to start pressing incredibly wealthy people. Do you know that eight men, among them eight men, the eight wealthiest men in the world, have more wealth than four billion people total? Wow. Like the inequalities are extraordinary when you really stare hard at them. It's crazy stuff. So you pick a flagship project. That's my, and then, you know, have the Global Compassion Coalition and partnering with a hundred other major NGOs. We go after that project and we don't stop till we accomplish it. It may take a generation, which is sick. It may take a generation to make sure that no child goes hungry in the world, including in America. You know, many, many Americans live with food insecurity or they're making deadly choices, you know, where basically the best they can do is, you know, another can of spaghetti, right? And one of the parents doesn't eat dinner to make sure there's enough food for the kids. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, you know, I'm really kind of spellbound by all that I'm hearing. I want to... First of all, I'm going to want to ask you about a couple of other things you're doing. I'm really but, passionate today. You unleashed it, man. I don't normally go off not, like this. Not, but just, not just compassion, but passion is yeah, modeled right. by you. So, But I'm wondering, a listener is sitting there, and I yeah. guess there's uh, two questions relative to, uh, number one, if they join the coalition, how how. How can they do it? We'll have it in the show notes too. Thank you. But also just from a day-to-day -day perspective, 
what recommendations you have for just being more alert to this this process because i know the you know i know there are a lot of really nice people uh, out there who just don't think about it this as deeply as as you can as you are and yeah. so i'm wondering those two things what how do we better live it on a day-to-day basis and secondly uh why should i Joy, well, I have joined the coalition, yeah. but why should I, I, as a listener, join the coalition? What what's in it uh, for me, for me and the world? If I if yeah, I that's a great question. The simplest way is to go to our website, globalcompassioncoalition.org. You'll see many things there, and I think there are two kinds of reasons to join the coalition. One is for personal value. Because by being a member, uh, you get access to many wonderful resources on our website, our events program, and interest groups in particular areas like compassion and aging or compassion, you know, and elder care, however we want to maybe talk about it. That's wonderful in its own right. Second, by joining, you will be adding your drop to the mighty stream that is developing. And that really matters, actually. I think back, you and I, we're old enough, and in America, we lived through the mighty streams of the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s. You know, and obviously things were happening before then, but the stream was in full flood in the 60s and early 1970s, civil rights movement. Second, women's rights movement. Third, gay rights movement. Fourth, environmentalism. Those four, often in intertwining, were mighty streams, and they were comprised of the individual drops of the people who stood for them. Uh, did And most of whom, including me, were not particularly marching in the streets or definitely not going up against a police barricade, but still added their drops to that stream. And when you join our coalition, you're doing that. And thank you and bless you for doing that. Thank you. Now, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't give you a few minutes uh, and still leave you time for lunch to, uh, if I didn't give you a few minutes to tell us what else you've written about, done. I know you're online because uh, I'm, you know, checking you out all the time. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of, I know it's been a journey to get to this point, but along that journey, you've contributed so much in so many areas. So can you give us the uh, the Cliff Notes version of uh, what else you've been up to and are up to and people can learn from you? And and again, any any ways of reaching you because we'll have all that in the, in the show notes. That's kind, Ron. Thank you. Uh, well, people can go to my personal website just with my name, rickhanson.net. Tons of freely offered resources there. Uh, it's not freely offered, although uh, it's inexpensive. My latest book is called Making Great Relationships. And for me, the, each of those three words is important because we make our relationships with what we think and say each day. And second, we really can make great relationships, at least great for us, even if other people don't budge, even if they don't change in how we relate to the situation and maybe how we kind of adjust are in our involvement with that person. So making great relationships would be a book that I would I would 
uh, you know, commend people's attention for. Yeah. And uh, what about uh, just from, well, I, I have to say that some of the past books that you've written are really important. I'll just mention, you know, names like uh, mm. Hardwiring Happiness and Resilient, which just the name itself implies what it is. But I, I think yeah. uh, it, it comes from a place of recognizing uh, neuroplasticity and the brain's ability to change and change yep. better. And I just think you've been such a great con contributor to it. I would hope, and, and I guess if people go to your website, they'll uh, they'll be able to see some of the stuff that you do, and uh, and also some things to to sign up for too, because yeah. I know that there's there's a lot you're doing out there, and I I know you're right now you're so into uh, compassion that mm. maybe forget how how much influence you're having through some mm. of your other work and really really appreciate it so oh, that's kind on the world is is beyond compassion but <laughs> i know it's focused largely now on compassion yeah thank you very much maybe as we finish here i'll tell you um just what for me are sort of almost like foundational practices um i'm not perfect about them but you know you keep trying each day right we keep trying a little each day and one of them is to just slow down to let people land in your heart. We blow by people or we have interactions with them. We get very focused on getting the job done. And it's just really useful to kind of slow down and just feel them. Remembering the really important thing I said is that compassion is not agreement. Uh, we can have compassion for someone that we believe should be subject to justice, for example. And which means that you can have the freedom to bring compassion, even if you think their suffering is their own fault. And you, in the same way, you can bring that kind of compassion to yourself, even if you're critical of yourself or you know you messed up and that's partly why you're in the pickle you're in. Still, you can have a kind of kindness for your own, your own discomfort, your own sadness, your own frustration. Okay, first, slow down to let people land in your heart. I think that's really important. I think another thing that definitely has been useful for me is to really start to, there, there's a definition of privilege from, I believe, Ta-Nehisi Coates, that privilege, uh, one it's an aspect of privilege, but privilege means not having to take something into account. So I have the privilege when I walk down a dark street as a tall old man, I'm not that old, but you know what I mean? I turned 70 recently. I, don't, I have the privilege, I'm not worried about sexual assault. I might worry about being mugged, but I'm not worried about being sexually assaulted. I have that privilege. And um, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means I, I have that privilege. And so what do we not take into account? And that's my second suggestion, to expand the range of what we do take into account, including what other people have to take into account that we haven't had to take into account. For all kinds of reasons, including, I'm going to broaden the notion of privilege, maybe we haven't had their health issues, right? My wife has certain health issues. She has to take into account her diet in a way that I don't have to take into account. And so if she's in a restaurant or at a party and someone serves something, she has to take into account what she eats. And, and sometimes it's hard for other people to realize, oh, she has to take that into account because they don't have to. But being co compassionate means expanding the range 
of what you take into account that other people have to take into account. So that would be my second suggestion. You know, what's it like to be the only black person in the room? They have to take something into account. You know, can you take into account that they have to take that into account? Even if it's a friendly room, it's still something they have to take into account. For example, anyway, that was my two suggestions. You know, slow down to let people land in your heart and widen the range of what you're taking into account that other people have to take into account. Oh, it's probably a great place to end where we're talking about self-compassion and compassion for others and taking others into account. Yeah. As, as you know, Rick, I could keep talking with you. <laughs> It'd be fun, Ron. And I know uh, you've got so much more to contribute, but maybe that's for another time. Yeah. Now I want to uh, allow you a few minutes for lunch. <clears throat> and uh Really, really want to express my appreciation. This has been so interesting, so helpful. Uh, we will get all the information about uh, the Global Compassion Coalition, you know, on into the show notes, and we'll get it on my information, social media, <laughs> website. We want to really try and promote this, and certainly, uh, if one listens to. Uh, uh, to the, the gerontologists uh, who have studied this, like Walter Bortz and David Sinclair, so on, you may last a lot closer to the 2100s than, uh, <laughs> than you're giving yourself credit for. And I hope uh, hope you'll, you will, because I'm sure you'll be contributing for as long as you're around. Well, thank you very uh, much. <laughs> really, Ron. And thank you. Bless you for what you're doing, too. It's really great. Thank you. And on that note... This brings to close another episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Again, want to uh, make sure that you're aware of all the information, how to reach Rick and, and the Global Compassion Coalition, be in the show notes, and hope you'll tell your friends about this podcast, download it, rate it, review it, and be, be back next week when we will have another really interesting guest. Uh, don't know if we can top this week's guest, but it, it'll be good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain. And in the meantime, please visit the Mental Health Gym website. And um, you know, we're still we're still in the pandemic, so stay stay positive, but stay safe and uh, stay compassionate. Take care. We'll see you next time. <laughs>